0: Welcome back to our fourth week in the promised land. We've been looking at a lot of the promises of the Lord God for you and for me, promises of his presence, uh, promises of his, his grace for us in this life. Uh, last week, promises of his presence and his guidance for his glory, for our good, in regard to our hardships. Uh, because this last promise is such a difficult one to put our faith in, it's kind of a two-parter. Not only will we take a look at sufferings and hardship for his glory and for our good, but actually as essential for the nature of this life, this is part two, of bringing us through all hardship. It is the way, suffering is the way by which God brings us home to him. Uh, So that causes us to really prepare our hearts to to face it and really embrace it, kind of as a badge of honor, uh, for the Lord is with us in our suffering. Uh, With that, why don't we open up with prayer before we jump into a message uh, from the second part of Romans 8. We'll pray. Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. All right, I want you to imagine a maze. Maybe when you were really young, you liked drawing mazes, anybody like to do that? And you'd hand it to a friend and try to make that path as difficult as you could be to to get through a piece of paper and you have all these dead ends set up and see how long it takes a friend to get through that maze. So picture that, or or maybe it was just a few weeks ago, you took your kids out, your grandkids to an apple orchard, a pumpkin patch, and they had one of those corn mazes that were out there. I remember when my kids were younger, uh, I'd like to take them through and see who could finish first. I would often cheat. I would just walk all the way through the corn. I'm terrible. <laughs> so, but it was, it was a blast, right, trying to get through a maze and, and seeing how smart and clever you were, and then being impatient, just walking right through it. Uh, or maybe if you're a gamer, you like uh, The Legend of Zelda, The Adventures of Link. How many editions have there been? The last one around, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, came out last spring. And again, you find Link going through all these dungeons and mazes and maps and trying to Figure things out to get from one end to the victory and to rescue Princess Zelda in the land. So, if you haven't mind a maze, now I want you to expand it. It's as big as the world. And the maze lasts as long as human history, as long as time. Scattered throughout the maze are all of God's chosen people in every generation, in every realm and aspect of the earth. And here's what God has done. Before the creation of the world, before this maze was all set in place and became so complicated, a labyrinth, a prison because of sin, God mapped it out, chose each and every one who calls on the name of Jesus, chose you and me to make it. To make it from wherever we're at as we're wandering, and we are sheep who love to wander, where he in flesh and blood would enter into our time, our space, uh, having mapped things out, everything going according to his plan, with all the variabilities that could be. He finds each and every one of those he chose. Though he's loved the whole world, you are precious to his eye. You are the elect. You've been called in faith in Christ. He found you. Not one has he lost. And it's so mind-blowing as we consider, well, Our default nature is to reject God. It's to further ourselves in the dead ends of that worldwide maze as long as human history. But he does it. It's a promise. It's a promise in this maze as big as the world. And, And not just that, but I love how the Lord God, he actually calls us to be ambassadors of this good news, this grace that God's on a rescue mission, and he finds people, the lost of the lost. And he rescues and he brings home and he brings out, whether through joys or in sorrows. And in fact, hardship is part of the maze. He depends on us to communicate that saving message, those promises to others. And he never, ever fails. I love this promise, as difficult as it may be, for this one truth. And if you're taking notes, here's a truth to embrace. You're going to make it. If you ever wondered, because of whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whether it's spiritual, whether it's some sin that you can't shake, whether it's of such a devastating sort in relationships and everything's breaking and you've got no one, and maybe it's self-inflicted or maybe it's because somebody just took advantage of you, and you wonder where God is, and you wonder what's it all going to come to, and you wonder if you can even breathe the next moment, let alone survive. God promises, he swears by the blood of Jesus, you're going to make it. And that's true for any physical ailments, any sicknesses, chronic illnesses, any terminal diagnoses, whatever. God promises you're going to make it. I will not lose you. No, but as surely as my son has bled and died for you, so then I will see you through. Who of us doesn't need to hear that from day to day? You're, you're going to make it. You don't have to worry about a thing. God will bring you from wherever you're at now home with him. That's his plan, that's his promise. And, and we can beat back the devil too. Who come along and say, well, if that's really his promise, why don't you test him in that? Why don't you just kind of utilize his grace as a license of sin and you do whatever you want. Let's just see if he'll rescue you. God's elect, God's saved, rescued people. We just don't think that way. Now, if, if this grace has claimed us now and it's promised that God will make us through, then what is the natural response to believe in him that much more, to follow him that much more closely? and to even come to terms with hardship and suffering to say, well, then this must be a blessing too, and the very way I make it through. Uh, I didn't come up with that promise. I'm not just sharing it with you because, well, I think it makes you feel better. This is God's word. Uh, This is what Romans 8 is all about in the second half, and, and really what God's word is intended to give you and me even in the face of suffering and hardship. So let's jump right in and go to Romans 8, verses 29 and following. We're picking up uh, where Pastor Tim kind of keyed off in Romans 8, 28. That's, for all things work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called to according to his purposes. It'll all work for his glory. Every hardship will work out for your good. In Verse 29 and following, we find that every hardship will be a must. It's never as if God is surprised by it or is ever thinking like, well, how am I going to work this out? It's like, no, this is ordained for you. This was planned from the beginning for you. And it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because I love you. So let's see what this is about then. Verse 29 and following. Paul says... Those God foreknew that would be every Christian who puts their faith in in Jesus in time, that's you and me, God who he foreknew, he also predestined. So he organized it all. He flung us to the very corners of the map that we're journeying through, and he rescues us and he brings us back to himself. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, that would be Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, declared not guilty, you're his. And those he justified, he also glorified. What I love about that, it's actually a future thing. You and I have not been glorified yet, but you've been predestined, you're called, you're justified, done deal. How will it not follow that you'll be glorified? And so God makes promises about the future in past tense. Because it's as good as done. It's just mind boggling. And that's why Paul says in verse 35 So who shall suffer? From Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I think our natural response is like, Yes, 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 yes. Any one of those, yes. Paul says, Not even any of those hardships or suffering. By the way, it's been written. It's for your sake, O oh Lord, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Everybody knows it. God knows it. It doesn't faze him that we face death all day long. He will not lose us even in death. And so God concludes in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise. Nothing, no hardship, no suffering can separate you. In fact, hardship, suffering, it's been predestined for you. And it is the way God brings you through. Reminding us of last week for his glory, for your good. How can this be? Hardship. We try to avoid it like the plague. But Paul is saying, you can embrace it in that you're more than a conqueror. And so what's God up to? Why does he not just allow it, but he determines to bring us through it as the means by which we come to him, and others are found in that maze as big as the world and as long as human history. But well, to understand that, we we got to go back to a verse in Romans eight twenty nine that really fleshes it out. Something that we can kind of just gloss over because everything else is so amazing in Romans eight. But would you go back to it as we consider this question? You know, what shall we do with our struggles? And we've already kind of read through Romans eight twenty nine there. What are we to make of our struggles? That's what we're wrestling with. And is this really according to God's plan? Yeah, in Romans eight twenty nine, let's read this. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Can I fill in the blanks there? Conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What is God up to in the hardships and sufferings that come into our life by his ordaining? It's not an accident. It's not that God wants it. We live in a sin broken world. Again, it's self inflicted so often. But God is so sovereign that he takes all those hardships and sufferings and ordains it for us to go through. So what is he up to? Well, in that truth, he is desiring that we be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus is the only beloved son, child of God. Well, guess what? God wants more sons and daughters, children. And so here we are. And God wants us to be so much a child that He wants us to be conformed to look like, have a life like Christ Jesus. So I want you to picture Jesus Christ then. What kind of life did He have? Well, we're about ready to enter the Christmas season right after Thanksgiving. We're thinking about angels and shepherds and cattle and Mary and Joseph, but. Ultimately, we find baby Jesus poorer than the poorest. He's there in a feeding trough for animals. That's the image God would have you conform to in a sin-broken world. And then he becomes a refugee in his parents down into Egypt. That's the image God would have you conform to in a sin-broken world. And he comes back and he gives up what could have been a stable profession, carpentry, and he decides to become an itinerant preacher where throughout his ministry he says, hey, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but I don't have a place to rest my head. Follow me. God wants us to be conformed to that image. And he picks friends that none of us would choose. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, former lepers, former demon-possessed souls, fishermen that nobody cares about, terrorists, zealots. This is his crowd. This is his group. So much identified with him that others were talking about him. He must be demon-possessed himself, a drunkard. He dines with sinners. That's the image God wants you to be conformed to. Talk about hardship and suffering. And then fast forward to the gospel we read. He's betrayed by a close friend. Uh, He undergoes six mock trials. They, They treat him like the worst of criminals, crucified between two thieves, although all the while they mock him as a king with a royal crown of thorns piercing his head. He's flogged, ultimately crucified, buried. God would have us conform to that image. Because if this is what the child of God goes through, this is what the children of God go through. And praise God that the extent of our hardships and suffering ordained for us isn't to the extent of Jesus, you and I will never suffer hell. And you and I will never have a week like Jesus did. And still yet, it's God's, and in his infinite wisdom and divine love where he says, I want you to be like Jesus. So then, I have a plan for your hardships and struggles. In fact, I put them in your life. Not because he wants us to suffer, but because he has plans for our good, for his glory, and this is the way through. I am remembering the Apostle Paul's words here. Paul wasn't kidding when he said this. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. If you're filling in the blanks, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Notice it's not an option. And it's not just persecution, but it's just all kinds of suffering, emotional, physical, every kind of suffering, God's people will become familiar with, whether individually or as, as a group. These are the ways that we go through this life. The Apostle Paul says there's hardship for you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Well, why? Because the nature of what God does with the hardship and what it means. I think last week we talked about, hey, hardship, pain, suffering is often a sign something's wrong. Well, God's kingdom is so amazing and so beautiful. It's an upside-down kingdom that when there's pain, hardship, suffering, it actually means there's something right. I'm going to give you a couple truths, illustrations that spring from Acts 14.22. I just uh, read recently about a story of a little girl uh, out of France, a, town, a small town in France, Marie Paola. and She's four years old, and she, in her house, in her backyard, there's a swimming pool. And her parents raised her to respect the water. It's dangerous, but it can be enjoyed. Swim lessons, not to go in alone, always need parent supervision. So she learned all of this by the age of four. Well, her neighbor friend didn't. And they came to visit one time, and little Dennis, who was about two years old, fascinated by the water. So when all the parents were inside getting ready for the food to bring it outdoors and the patio, it was just Marie and then Dennis kind of wandered out, and he went right for the pool, clothes and all, dove right in, and he could not swim. Well, Marie knew this isn't good, everything that she had learned, he needs help. So she began to scream for the parents, but went right after him and didn't get in the pool, but reached out just to grab anything that she could latch a hold of. And guess what it was? It was his hair. And Boy, did she pull. <laughs> and she pulled, and she pulled, and she pulled. She made sure that his head was above water so that he could breathe. And he was gasping for breath, and he was mad at her, and he was swinging in her arms and letting me go and screaming out loud and crying, and she just kept pulling. And the parents hadn't come out yet, So she thought, maybe I could pull hard enough. I'll yank him out of the pool. And so she kept pulling and pulling and pulling. And she couldn't get him out of the pool. So she kept hitting his head up against the side of the pool, and it was just a mess. But she was keeping his head above water. Finally, the parents came out, rescued him, and he was safe. And as word got out, some of the leaders in the town, they came over to commend her and give her an award. And as a news reporter was interviewing her, she was asked, well, I guess you and Dennis are probably best of friends now. He must really appreciate that you saved his life. And Marie's like, "What are you kidding me?" Oh, he's angry. He's angry cuz I was pulling his hair so bad. But what else was I to do? Friends, I think that's an illustration to better understand hardships that God puts in our life. It's it's really his way of pulling hair. God rescues us through hardships. That's the pulling of our hair. There's so many good things, so many blessings about the hardships that we must face. But if we don't understand and don't hear the promise of God, how else should we react than what Dennis did, hating Marie? Well, we should hate God. That's our instinct. But when you see the big picture and the maze, and God's rescue plan, and how this is the way, through this suffering and hardship, you are won and rescued. Well, then we can praise God that he rescues through pulling our hair. It takes faith to believe it, but you see Jesus. It was God's plan that his beard should be pulled out, that he should suffer in such a way And as a loving son, he trusted his father. And now he reigns over all. You see how hardship works? You see how God uses that? Whatever hardship you have in your life, that's God's plan, his purpose. He is keeping your head above water, even when it feels like you're going under. And there's no greater love than somebody who would subject himself to seeing a child suffer in such a way knowing that the child might not understand. And there's another truth that we can, well, talk about as far as how every hardship and suffering is a blessing. We're filling in the next blank. We come to Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines the one he loves. Hardship, suffering is actually a kiss from God. It sounds crazy. But in Christ, that's the way he plans it. I think of it this way, Uh, I teach 8th graders and 7th graders here, the basics of the Christian faith, there's many of you I've had, wow, you've grown so old, (laughs) so I've been doing it for a little while, I guess. Uh, But over the years, I've confirmed four of my own kids, or three of my own kids, I got one more next year, hopefully he'll pass, no, I'm just, he'll do fine. Uh, So here was my go-to as far as whenever I would teach, and I'd only have him for a couple hours during the week. So whenever you get a new teacher or you don't see a teacher very often, sometimes you can get a little out of control. That's how I was in seventh and eighth grade. So I get it when maybe the boys or girls aren't listening so well. I kind of look over and here was my go-to when I had a kid in class, one of my own. I would actually yell at them whether they were guilty or not. And and this is what I'd say. I'd be like, Isabel, what's going on over there? (laughs) And she would look at me like, damn, I didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, 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 but I know there's trouble. There's trouble over there. And like, Luther, what's going on? And well, oftentimes, Luther was part of the problem. No, he, okay, he was fine. <laughs> or Zoe, you know, what's going on over there? Now, before and afterwards, I, you know, I would tell my kids, like, hey, thank you for letting me call you out, <laughs> even though I know many times you haven't done anything. But you see, I can speak in such a way, I can discipline in such a way that it draws the attention of everybody else, and everybody seems to settle down. And they don't miss out then on what they need to hear. Now, you might think that's terrible (laughs) classroom management, that's terrible parenting, and you might be right. (laughs) But isn't that what Jesus experienced with God the Father? You know, God disciplines those that he loves, and no one was disciplined more than Jesus on a cross. And it wasn't because he did something wrong. He did nothing wrong. But God wakes up the world. Everyone lost in the maze to take a look, pay attention. Sin is being dealt with by the discipline of my only son. What a kiss of love and blessing, though it was a cross. And he rose from the dead. Friends, that's your suffering too. That is your pain. Make no mistake, that's God's plan. And if that's God's plan, then you can wear it as a badge of honor. It is as if God is saying, with this hardship, this suffering, this pain, I'm giving this to you because I know in me you can take it. And I don't know if others could. And when you suffer this way and you, like Job, You say, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. Blessed be the name. Others will want a relationship like you have with me. And you'll make it through the maze. And you'll bring loads of other people too who, by the way, will suffer with or without me. Paul wraps all of that up here in this last thought when he says in Romans 8, 17 through 18... And it's our last truth for today. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Friends, just as Jesus suffered hardship and suffering and was familiar with suffering and sorrows, a man of sorrows, Isaiah said, well, look at him now, full of glory. You're his brother, you're his sister. It'll be the same, suffering, hardship. But soon, very soon, you and I will shine like the stars because it's through hardship and suffering that God brings us from here to there. What a promise. May God give us such great faith to hold to that promise. Amen.